God, we're just in awe as we soak up your mercy. And we realize, God, that without your mercy, your abiding, ever-present mercy, moment by moment, every single day, God, that we're nothing. That we're left empty and barren and broken. And were it not for your mercy, God, we would be left far, far from you. And God, thank you so much for abounding in mercy. For every moment of every single day, sending your mercy washing it across our lives, God. I pray that we would be ready recipients of that mercy, that we would think on it, that we would bask in it, that we would live in it, that we would enjoy your mercy, God. Not to the abusive side of your mercy, Father, not to enjoy it, to abuse it. But because it's who you are and it's what you give us, it's what it takes to live in you, God. And I pray for us as a community in particular that we wouldn't be reservoirs of your mercy necessarily, but that we would be conduits of it, that we would soak it up and that we would live in it, God, and that we would redirect it outward to people who are so in need of your love and your mercy and your affection and who are longing after hope, God, that they would find your mercy, your life, your abundance in us, Father, and that we would distribute it readily God, we wouldn't just hold it in for us, my little thing, but that we would pass it on, that we would send it out, that we would be about your mercy every day. We sure love you, and we're so grateful for who you are, for all that you've blessed us with, for everything that you've given us, in particular, your streams of mercy that never, ever cease. Pour them out, please, God. We love you, and we're your people, and we're delighted to worship you you. Thanks for making us your children. In Jesus' name we pray this. And the church said, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat if you would, please. It was fun to have Narrate's band with us. They'll be back out in a little bit to lead us in a closing set. It's also a special privilege to have Narrate's lead pastor, Adam Hushka, here with us today. And uh, I've known Adam for just over 11 years now. And we cut our, our teeth in youth ministry together all the way back in the day when we were doing youth ministry together at Journey's Grandmother Church called Faith Evangelical over in Billings. We got to work together. And then over the years, God has just privileged us to stay together and always, almost always be serving in ministry together. And I'm here to tell you that Adam Hushka was made to plant a church in Helena, Montana. And so it's a delight to have him here. Would you please welcome him to the stage now? Hi. Great to be with you and really a privilege. Brian said early in the process of um, being a mother church to to narrate that journey being a mother church that their job was to put steel in our spine. And that kind introduction is evidence of that. It really is a privilege to, to get to plant a church of which you are the mother. We don't take that lightly. Like We hold you and this movement in the highest of regard, and so thanks for letting us do that and represent you and utilize your reputation, frankly, in, in Helena. So it's, it's a real honor, and we're working really hard not to take that lightly. Thank you very much. What, what, we, what I'd like to do uh, this morning is kind of unpack, kind of, well, basically I want to preach to the choir, because what I want to do is unpack a principle that, that I feel like is real central to this place that I've learned from you all, that we've learned from you all, and in particular that I've had the opportunity to learn from Brian. And so what I want to do is kind of shine some light on this principle. And 
and, and ultimately get a chance to say, like, way to go, this is amazing, this is rare from my perspective, and thanks for teaching us to be this kind of church. The principle itself, the idea, the ethos, if you will, really is probably best explained or summarized in this question. This, do you default to saying yes or no? Like, like when presented with new opportunities, when, when emotions that, that bring about anxiety and fear are presented to you, when, 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 you, when it gets gray, when it gets cloudy, when it's not quite clear what lies on the other side, when you're being asked to step outside of what you're comfortable with, just when opportunities come your way, relational or, or kingdom opportunities, like what's your default? What's your bent? What are you most comfortable saying? Yes or, or no? Like what's your tendency? <clears throat> and, and then ultimately, what I'd like to, to get you thinking about maybe during the week is does God have an opinion on what's best? And what is, what is God's... What's God's bent in terms of where we ought to default to? That's kind of where that thing, where this will all go, hopefully. There's a story from Super Bowl 36 that captures that for me. You might recall that Super Bowl 36 was between the St. Louis Rams and the New England Patriots. Remember that the Rams were going for their second straight Super Bowl victory and were literally talking dynasty as they moved into that Super Bowl. They looked unbeatable, untouchable, and they were playing the Patriots, who were a preseason pick to be dead last in the AFC East and, and were a very surprising entry in the Super Bowl. But, but as you remember, like, we even kind of wondered, like, was that a conspiracy? Because the, the Patriots in the Super Bowl that followed the September 11th attacks were hanging in the Super Bowl. And with less than a minute left in the game, the Patriots received the ball with the score tied at 17-17. Anybody remember all this? Patriots got the ball deep in their own territory, and before they took the field, presumably during the commercial break, what we didn't see but documentary films have since recorded for us was that then-offensive coordinator Charlie Weiss, now the head coach at Notre Dame, pulled Tom Brady, the young upstart quarterback who replaced Drew Bledsoe in week two when Drew Bledsoe got his bell rung very, very hard, never got his spot back. Charlie Weiss pulled Tom Brady aside, and with Drew Bledsoe looking over his shoulder as a backup quarterback would do in that situation, said, protect the ball. Protect the ball, protect the ball, protect the ball. We're going to try to drive the field. We're going to try to go win this game, but you're the quarterback, and, and we can't have a turnover right now because obviously a turnover would have resulted in the Rams getting to kick a field goal and win the game. He left. Charlie Weiss left, and before Brady took off for the huddle, Drew Bledsoe grabbed Tom Brady, turned him towards himself, and in football language that can't be repeated in context like this, <laughs> said, to heck with that. Like, you fling that ball. You're the quarterback of this team. This is the Super Bowl. You move us down the field, and you go win that game right now. Which, history tells us, is exactly what Brady did. He walked out into the huddle, and he threw one pass after another down the middle of the field, eventually leading his team into field goal range. And you may recall that as time expired, Adam Vinatieri kicked the 48-yard field goal to win the Super Bowl in, in regulation. What I'm really getting at is, is where's, where's your default? Like, do you approach life like Charlie Weiss and have a bent for what's comfortable and predictable and secure, what's safe? Do you even imagine God to be a God whose chief interest is safety and security and comfort? Or, or do you approach life and, and do you feel that God it calls you to approach life much more like Drew Bledsoe, saying you're prepared for this moment, go get after it, there are no guarantees, but die trying. From which angle do you approach life? I think the reason that like, this has been such a vivid lesson for me as I've learned it from you and from Brian is that, and, and the reason, frankly, I feel the credibility to even talk like this is because I am by default a, a no person. 
I won't ask you to raise hands and ask how many of you all are no persons, people, but I also have an English minor, which wouldn't be evident right there. Um, <laughs> but, right, like, like I, I am a no person. By, by nature, by nurture, left in my own devices, devoid of the Holy Spirit's leadership, I, I default to no every time. I'm the first one to deconstruct. I'm the first one to criticize. I'm the first one to question. I'm the first one to say, that'll never work. God will never provide those resources. That'll get us hurt. That'll be embarrassing. That'll be scary. I've never broken a bone. I don't have a speeding ticket. I'm frankly a pretty boring person, right? <laughs> so I surround myself with a wife and friends who are crazy and they do illogical stuff. And Anyway, so, so I'm, I'm one of you. Those of you that are like, that, that's your bent. And I'm the guy who, well, I have three kids. I had to remember how many kids I had. It's been a busy weekend. Three kids under six. So I don't have to work very hard to say no. Like, right, like in a span of one minute, I can say no 20 times like that. Like, it's, just, it's a piece of cake. And, and it's really the only way to manage life is just to walk around my house and say no. <laughs> Which I'm convinced is really emotionally healthy for my kids when they get into high school that they'll just do fantastic if I keep that up. <laughs> I'm the guy to use a golf picture, like when I'm 200 yards from the stick and, and there's, there's a water hazard right in front of the green and I'm realizing that if I can get it on the green, I can putt for eagle, but I'm not sure that I can get it over the water hazard, but I know I can lay up right before the water hazard and if I can get a good chip shot on, I might be able to still putt for birdie anyway. I, like I'm the guy who, who lays up, save my reputation, save the emotion, save the anxiety, save the embarrassment, just, just lay up and take the easy chip shot. How about you? There's a couple cards on your chair. Would you grab those? We're just going to have you get in groups of three and play poker for the rest of the service. <laughs> just kidding. Um, would you grab each of those and grab that pen? And I just, to create a visual, I want you to write on one of those cards, yes, and on the other card, no. Just write on one card, yes, and the other card, No. I mean, ultimately, what I'm asking is, which card do you play? And which card are you most comfortable playing? And which card are you even convinced God has called you to play? Like, where do you live your life? Which, which card do you play most readily? And what would your kids say? I mean, do they find you to be this approachable person? Do they find you to be one who uses your, your nose to a minimalist level, who is open to joining them in their adventures? Or do your kids know you as, as Captain No? Right? Like, do, do they understand that your self-appointed lot in life, although not officially stated, is to keep them safe and alive? Or do they understand you as one who will, who, who will join with them in their discoveries and in their chances and in their risks? Your spouse. And would your spouse describe you as controlling, suppressing, restricting? Like, guys, when's the last time she picked out the movie? Right? This is, yeah, this is where this... Like, my wife, I, I always get dropped off at Hastings and she goes and gets the pizza, Right? Like, would your wife describe you as a no person? Controlling? Restricting? The people you work with, I mean, are the only risks that you take the ones that you dream up? I mean, do you ever, do you ever say yes to the people you work with? Do you ever join them in their adventures? And then it gets into the, the resource stuff, right? Which gets really scary, and particularly when we're talking about kingdom bringing stuff. I mean, do all the dots have to connect? Does everything have to align? Does it have to be predictable before you'll say yes? It, it gets out there, doesn't it? And I think one of the things that we have to admit is 
like there, there's certainly a continuum, right? I mean, it, it can go too far. If we were to call this the extreme, yes. Like, certainly it can go too far. We, we have to acknowledge that. I mean, when you already have four kids and you adopt three more from Ethiopia, like, it, it, it might have just gone too far, right? <laughs> or, but, but, like, right, like, this, this is where people-pleasing hangs out, which isn't healthy. This is where burnout hangs out. This is where I think some heresy hangs out. I mean, a name it, claim it, bent towards God. So, so certainly it can go too far. I happen to have a friend who has a, this is a true story, but who happens to have an amazing story of it going too far. We're going we're to call my friend Bob. He, he had some friends that were going to a T.D. Jakes concert or conference in Portland, Oregon, like tens of thousands of people. They were going, Bob didn't know who T.D. Jakes was, but his friends were big fans, and so yeah, at the last second, yeah, I'll go with you. So they were sitting in the motel the night before the conference, and Bob said to his friends, I think we should get a picture with T.D. Jakes. Like, let's, tomorrow, let's get a group picture with T.D. Jakes. To which his friends were going like, you don't understand what you're asking. Like, there's going to be over 10,000 people there. You don't, you don't just walk up and get your group picture with T.D. Jakes. Well, I think it'd be fun, like, to kind of commemorate the trip together. No, it doesn't work like that. It's not going to happen. Whatever he said, you guys don't want a picture. I'm getting a picture. So the next day, at the start of the conference, Bob had um, rather astutely wore his bright yellow jacket to the conference, and T.D. Jakes happened to start out the conference by doing giveaways to kind of rile up the troops, you know, like high school camp or something. He was doing these free giveaways, and whoever was the most obnoxious one in the crowd would win this particular CD set or this particular book. Well, well Bob was successful in getting the attention of T.D. for a particular CD set with his yellow coat waving his arms, and so T.D. said, yep, you in the yellow coat, this one's yours. And you have to picture, like, this is a large venue, you know, so 10 feet between the front of the stage and the first rows of people, security guards lining that. So what TD did was he flips the CD to the security guard, and the idea is, is you walk down and you get your CDs from the security guard. Bob saw opportunity. So as he kind of made his way down and TD's continuing to do his giveaways, as he neared the security guard, he pulled his digital camera out of his pocket, and then just as he got to the security guard, he handed the security guard his camera, said, take my picture, and then went into a full-on sprint to the stage got to the stage, crawled up onto the stage, ran up to T.D. Jakes, put his arm around T.D. Jakes, smiled, and that is <laughs> the picture. The security guard complied. In fact, he actually took two pictures, as I've been told, and, and Bob framed those and gave them to his friends just to spite them. <clears throat> Later, at some kind of a book signing or something, Bob approached the man and said, hey, nice tie, to which he said, thanks. Can I have it, Bob said. <laughs> he said, well, the Bible says thou shalt not covet. And Bob's one of those guys you don't want to play Bible bullets with. And, and Bob said, well, the Bible also says if a man asks for your coat, to give him your tunic. So he took off his tie and gave it to Bob. So we have to agree it can go too far, right? Like there's this like, ah, I don't know about that. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like it can go too far. But can we also agree that it can go too far in this direction? And can we even be so bold as to suggest that like, Christ followers in particular struggle to dwell on this side of the continuum? Misunderstanding God as a God whose chief priorities are comfort and safety and security and guarantees versus the exact opposite of all those things. So in some ways, <clears throat> I suppose the, the challenge that you all taught me, but now it's like getting flipped back onto you, the, the challenge is, like, where are you at in that continuum? And where does God want you? 
I mean, just to, to spend a week kind of analyzing yourself and to paying attention to how often do you randomly say yes to stuff, even if those opportunities seem to be pretty arbitrary and unimportant. Like, where, where do you lie in this? And what if, what if a chief cause of so much of the brokenness in so many of our relationships is erring to this side? I mean, what if a major breakdown between parents and their kids is parents who, who do all their parenting from over here? And they end up with junior high and high school students and college students who, who simply just don't confide in them because they know the answer before they ask, right? What if a chief role in the brokenness in, in marriages and close friendships is people who hang out over here, who, who never say no to self and yes to somebody else, but always say yes to self, which requires that you say no to everyone around you because really only one will can win in most circumstances, like, like, what if a major cause of the unhealth in offices and even, and even in movements is when a bunch of people dwell over here, and so they're constantly saying no to everything and everyone around them? And what if, what, what if following Jesus to the radical extent that so many of us dream about, the radical extent that you read about when you read the Gospels, what if it actually requires that we err to the side of Yes. What if really following Jesus, the, the way we dream about following him and in the, the stories we hear about other people following him, what if that actually requires that we hang over here a bit? There's a particular place in the text that a few of them that, that have been real informative for me. The first is Matthew 25. It's this parable that you may or may not be familiar with, commonly called the parable of the talents. I'd just like to read it to you. <clears throat> Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I've put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now notice that the circumstances don't change. Everybody's had the same circumstances, relatively speaking. The man who'd received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find more harsh words coming out of Jesus' mouth. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not gathered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from, the, from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, to be sure, this is a narrative that Jesus is telling to, to cast vision as what it should look like in his absence. He's painting a picture of his hopes for his people, for his movements between his first and second coming. But what if we, what if we treat the talents not just as concrete, 
almost fiscal things, but what if, what if we view them as opportunities? Like, have we at that point pushed too far in our, in our interpretation? I mean, when you, when you read this, do you see a God with a bent for yes or a bent for no? Do you see a God who encourages people to take risk or who actually says, no, risk isn't an option? Is this a God who seems to call his people to fear failure or to avoid it at all costs? I mean, frankly, I wish that one of the guys with the five talents or the two talents who had invested it would have actually came back with zero because it would bring a little more clarity, wouldn't it? But, but I think the context suggests that, that he too would have heard, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, what is most likely for you at your end of days to hear those words? Now we know that, that we hear that because of the grace of Jesus. Like we know that we're saved. We're right with God because of the cross. But we also know we're going to be judged for how we used our lives. What's more likely for us to hear well done? A disposition of, of no? Like hanging out over here? Or one of yes. I mean, I mean, does does God to you, does does He seem to be more in Jesus' narrative, like Charlie Weiss, or, or like Drew Bledsoe? It, it's a challenging deal for me. The other the other study we can't really flip to it, but I did this study this winter as all of this stuff was kind of crashing down on me, just of the Gospels in general, and basically asked this simple question: um, when when Jesus did something for somebody, who initiated it? Like when, when Jesus healed somebody of their leprosy or forgave somebody of their sin, who, who initiated that interaction? If you just take the book of Matthew, and, and this could be fun, quiet time fodder for you, if you just take the book of Matthew and you highlight the number of times Jesus did something for somebody, what, what you recognize is that upwards of 80% of those times, all Jesus did was said yes. Like people came to him and, and said, hey, I've got leprosy. I think you could heal me. And he said, yes. Women came to him and, and said, we're broken by our sin. Forgive us. And he said, yes. Like 80% of the time in the book of Matthew and 70% of the time in the Gospels as a whole, right near 70%, Jesus seemed to just put himself out there, lived this public, missional, accessible life. And then when opportunities came his way, he just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I can do that. Which raises questions of like how master planned was Jesus' life? Or was he simply responding to opportunity with faith and hope and, and the courage and a willingness to take risk? Matthew 6, Jesus tells this rather, does this rather vivid teaching where, where he talks about, do not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. And, and the implications seem to be that he's almost mocking people. Like, the pagans worry about that stuff, he says. It's almost as though he's saying, like, why do you spend your energy worrying about the stuff that's going to take care of itself? You're, you're going to get a date. You're going to get a spouse. You're going to find a house. You're going to get a job. And at the risk of trivializing it, it seems that he's saying, but, but, and then he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be given you, to you as well. I mean, the talents seem to paint a picture of a God who says, hey, I'll give opportunities. You say yes. And depending on what you do with those opportunities, more may come your way. I feel like I've been in this really privileged position watching Harvest unfold kind of from the background and then watching Journey unfold really from the background because as I talk to people who are familiar with Harvest and Journey, they often talk as though 
Vernon Bryan had this huge master plan, like this 10-year plan. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this 4th um, Fourth of July celebration, we're going to do this Easter egg hunt, this, this huge master plan, and, and everything that's happening was thought about before they ever planted it. I feel like the privilege that I've had is to recognize that, that both of them, that's not been the case. They've just said yes. And as needs arise and as opportunities arise, kids in Ethiopia that need a home, they just say yes. It's not a master plan. It's just, it's just a disposition for saying yes. And what if God is a God who says, just say yes. Ephesians chapter 2 one last text that I'd like to look at it says this, for we, and the we here is speaking to a community, not to a person, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which is where I get to say thanks. Because what, what I've learned by observing you all, and what you've taught us and narrate, is that realizing the good works that God has in advance for a movement like this, it involves saying yes. Like th- there's a direct relationship there, like actually realizing the good works prepared in advance for journey and for narrate and for harvest. Just saying yes to opportunities has a lot to do with that. So thanks. Thanks for being the type of community and the type of movement that's taught us to be that kind of a church. A, a few examples that kind of underline some of that. You know, several. It's been a few years ago when the the conversation about planning a church in Helena started to bubble up, which then led to my being asked to write a paper that kind of outlined thoughts and ideas and vision for both Vern, the lead pastor at Harvest, and the the, the conference as a whole for assessment purposes. So I wrote that paper right before annual conference. <clears throat> when Vern came back from annual conference, he shared this story of this interaction he had with Brian that basically went like this: They'd both read the paper. Brian looked at him and said, "We got to do this." Like, we we, we got to do this. That, that was after zero scrutinizing conversation between Brian and I, after zero kind of policing the vision and policing the logo. And, you know, like, it, there was none of that. It was just this, we, we got to do this. <clears throat> so on an airplane flight to Portland, I asked Brian, what does that mean? Like, cause, oh, yeah, because Vernon also added, and, and they think they want to help. Like, I think Journey wants to help, which means we have two mommies, which we get lots of mileage out of that. <clears throat> and... <laughs> Uh, so I asked Brian on a flight to Portland together one time, what, what does that mean? Like, you want to help? And he said, well, we think we want to do half. Like, we want to co-mother this thing. Again, after very little scrutinizing of, of anything, a little bit later, uh, well, it's actually before that, because that's why we were going to Portland, we, we got some data back from Helena that said that the percentage of people in Helena that have a master's degree is off the charts, like way higher than the national average state capital, so obviously there, there's this high value there on that. So it, what, the brilliant thought that occurred to me was it might be a good idea to have a master's degree if I'm going to go there, just for the sake of having that in my hip pocket and relevance. So I started talking to Vern about figuring out how to get seminary done. He said, you should call Brian. He's looking at this program at George Fox. Okay, I'll do that, I said. <clears throat> Called Brian. I remember it was a Wednesday night before youth group. We had this hour-long conversation. At the end of the conversation, he said, hey, Journey will help you. Like, I don't know what that looks like yet, but as you figure out the details of that, I just want you to know, like, we're in. We'll, we'll help make that happen. This winter, the, the kind of the when and the how of when the, where the resource would come from for the plant, which affected timing and all kinds of conversation, w- was becoming pertinent that we kind of get to the bottom of that. And in that season, I had a meeting with Vern one morning 
where he shared that while harvest was certainly good for what they'd said they would do, that because of circumstances happening around harvest, it was, the timing of that was unclear. So it was basically, a, you can count on us for it, but the wind might make you uncomfortable. We don't know what that's going to look like. That You're just going to have to trust us, which is reasonable, but heavy. That afternoon, Brian called. To my knowledge, didn't know that I'd had that conversation with Vern. And said, hey, Adam, council met last night on the request for what you guys are asking to help plant narrate, and I want you to know that it took him five minutes to say yes. Like, five minutes. And in that conversation, they also underlined the fact that, that they want to plant a church before they build a building. Like, they, they want to be a part of that. Again, very, very, very little scrutiny. One more example. This, around that same season, we were looking for a place to gather on Sundays. I had a list of 10 places. The Cinemark Movie Theater, which is this brand new theater right across from Carroll, was number 10. I systematically heard no from the first nine places and got yes from the Cinemark Movie Theater, which is further evidence of God's brilliance and my stupidity. <laughs> because it, like now, it's, it's right, right across the street from Carroll College. This is perfect. But when we started doing our research on that and actually got into the contract negotiation, what we learned that it was going to cost us twice as much to rent the Cinemark as we had budgeted for in the early stages of creating a budget for Narrate. Which led me to go, like the logical question becomes, okay, Lord, like, I mean, is this you testing us and our resolve and our chutzpah, or is this you telling us no, right? Same conversation. To which Brian was like, dude, you got to do that. You got to do that. And then not long after, said to me on another airplane ride to Portland, those things, those are good times. <laughs> said, hey, Adam, I think we can get you our portable church trailer. What do you mean? You, you guys are still portable, like, right? Yeah, but it just sits there all week. We don't actually move it. So I was thinking we could give you the trailer, and then we could just put a storage capsule down, which costs you all money, right? And, and you can have the trailer, which happened and basically saved us what it cost us extra to rent the theater, it's amazing. So th thanks. And know that we're working really hard to be a community that simply says yes to the opportunities around us. Personally, I guess my, my challenge to you would be to do some inventory personally and, and, and to see if, if, if the ethos with which you live your life is consistent with the movement that you're a part of. And, and what would happen if you just arbitrarily started saying yes to some stuff not because you wanted to, not because it sounded fun, but just because you're trying to, to move more to the yes side of center. Because frankly, isn't, isn't the gospel at its core a story about a God who says yes? Like while we were still sinners, Jesus said yes. Not because we deserved it, not because it was risk-free on his part, not because it was safe on his part, not because it was comfortable on his part, because God is a God of opportunity, and, and he says, yeah. The gospel is a God who says, yeah. I would like to redeem you. While you're still dirty and messy, I'd like you to be mine. So let's just take a moment, give you a moment to pray, and then talk to God about whatever it is you're thinking, and, and perhaps for the first time in your life, you're, you're wanting to say yes to God's invitation to relationship through Jesus. Talk to him about that. God, the amount of 
The amount of trust that you extend to us despite our brokenness is quite astounding. And the fact that you've picked this weird way of accomplishing your kingdom here on earth is also quite overwhelming and humbling and exciting. So, so thanks for inventing this idea of church, this idea of communities of people in love with you, reaching those around them, serving those around them. Thanks, Lord, for journey and the unique movement of yours that you've created here. And, and this deeply entrenched ethic of saying, we're going to handle our talents by saying yes. Within reason, we're going to say yes. God, I pray that this community's influence on, on Bozeman w- would be huge, that even other churches would learn in the community to say yes to opportunity. And, and I pray that you'd make narrate that kind of movement that, that lives the DNA of the mother and humbly enters the community and says, we're here to serve, and then says yes as those opportunities arise. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's thank Adam for that word. So in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, when churches would plant new churches or send out leaders, missionaries, and so on, they would commission them. And so we're going to do that with the Narrate bunch right now. And if there's anybody here who's a part of Narrate, just come on down to the stage. Uh, this is obviously part of the coup. Anybody coming from out there? Yeah, here they come. Look at them. Yeah, here we go. A herd of them. Good job. And so uh, in the New Testament, they actually would have laid hands on this bunch, like everybody there, but we got logistical challenges here today, so we won't have you do that. I'll lay hands on, and then if you're comfortable, extend a hand as if you were laying a hand on. Yeah, line up, come on. Yeah, good job. Way to go. Get cozy up here. And uh, let's pray over this bunch. Extend a hand if you're comfortable. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for saying yes to sending your son Jesus Christ to earth to bear our sins and to pay the price for us to live in relationship with you, God. It's only because of that gift and your choice, your decision to say yes, that we're even standing here today. You, di- you didn't have to say yes. You had no compelling need to live in relationship with us, but yet you wanted to, and so you chose to say yes. And God, thank you so much for saying yes to uh, leading Adam and Teresa and their family to the place of starting a church in Helena, God. Thanks for inviting Harvest to say yes in partnership with you. Thanks for inviting us to say yes in partnership with you, God. Thanks for everything that you've done to this point that lets us know that you've, that affirms that you've said yes, God. Thanks for the 30 plus people who have relocated their lives, moved themselves to Helena, Father, to be the team on the ground. Thank you so much for that work. That is, that's amazing. Thanks for inclining them to say yes when it would have been way easier to stay home and say no. And God, I pray that you would please continue to say yes to Narrate Church, that your blessing would pour out, God, that life change would abound, that souls would be saved, that marriages would be healed, that the kingdom would be brought right to Helena, Montana because of this upstart church called Narrate, Father. 
for the vision that you've given them. Bless them, please. I pray that your protection and your covering would be over this whole team and their families. We know, God, that you have an enemy who's prowling around, who's looking for a way in to narrate even right now, God. I pray that you would lock the door, please, that Satan would have no standing whatsoever. Cover this team, cover the community of faith called narrate in the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, God. This is your church. They are for you and they are about you and they're only going because of what you've done. Because you said yes, God. We commission them, we give them to you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said, amen.